Hello and welcome. My name is Bridget and I want to thank you for being here and I also want to invite you to please head over to thetruthaboutliving.com that is thetruthaboutliving.com where you will find information about scheduling something that I specialize in which is guided revision work for you. Guided revision work according to how Neville Goddard taught it. Now it takes two to three sessions to go through the whole process, but the results are phenomenal. If you've ever felt like you've done revision work on your own, or you've struggled to do revision work on your own, finding a scene, pinpointing the right thing to revise, reworking the scene, going through it in your mind, looping it, feeling like you've, you've done it all on your own and maybe having doubts about it, Working with me through this process removes all of that. We get really clear together and I guide you through the new imaginal scenes as well. So take advantage of this. This is a beautiful thing you can do for yourself. Thetruthaboutliving.com is where you can find me or you can email me directly at Bridget at thetruthaboutliving.com. My name is spelled B-R-I-D-G-E-T-T at thetruthaboutliving.com. Please enjoy the podcast. The Power of Awareness Chapter 1 I Am All things, when they are admitted, are made manifest by the light. For everything that is made manifest is light. Ephesians 5.13 The light is consciousness. Consciousness is one, manifesting in legions of forms or levels of consciousness. There is no one that is not all that is. For consciousness, though expressed in an infinite series of levels, is not divisional. There is no real separation or gap in consciousness. I am cannot be divided. I may conceive myself to be a rich man, a poor man, a beggar man, or a thief, but the center of my being remains the same, regardless of the concept I hold of myself. At the center of manifestation, there is only one I am manifesting in legions of forms or concepts of itself, and I am that I am. I am is the self-definition of the absolute, the foundation on which everything rests. I am is the first cause substance. I am is the self-definition of God. I am hath sent me unto you. I am that I am. Be still and know that I am God. I am is a feeling of permanent awareness. The very center of consciousness is the feeling of I am. I may forget who I am, where I am, what I am, 
but I cannot forget that I am. The awareness of being remains, regardless of the degree of forgetfulness of who, where, and what I am. I am is that which, amid unnumbered forms, is ever the same. This great discovery of cause reveals that, good or bad, man is actually the arbiter of his own fate, and that it is his concept of himself that determines the world in which he lives, and his concept of himself is his reactions to life. Again, this great discovery of cause reveals that good or bad, man is actually the arbiter of his own fate, and that it is his concept of himself that determines the world in which he lives, and his concept of himself is his reactions to life. In other words, if you are experiencing ill health, knowing the truth about cause, you cannot attribute the illness to anything other than to the particular arrangement of the basic cause substance, an arrangement which was produced by your reactions to life and is defined by your concept, I am unwell. This is why you are told, let the weak man say, I am strong. Joel 3.10 For by his assumption, the cause substance, I am, is rearranged and must therefore manifest that which its rearrangement affirms. This principle governs every aspect of your life be it social, financial, intellectual, or spiritual. I am is that reality to which whatever happens, we must turn for an explanation of the phenomena of life. It is I am's concept of itself that determines the form and scenery of its existence. Everything depends upon its attitude towards itself. That which it will not affirm as true of itself cannot awaken in its world. That is, your concept of yourself, such as, I am strong, I am secure, I am loved, determines the world in which you live. In other words, when you say, I am a man, I am a father, I am an American. You are not defining different I am's. You are defining different concepts or arrangements of the one cause substance, the one I am. Even in the phenomena of nature, if the tree were articulate, it would say, I am a tree, an apple tree, a fruitful tree. When you know that consciousness is the one and only reality, conceiving itself to be something good, bad, or indifferent, and becoming that which it conceived itself to be, you are free from the tyranny of second causes, free from the belief that there are causes outside of your own mind that can affect your life. And the state of consciousness of the individual is found the explanation of the phenomena of life. 
If man's concept of himself were different, everything in his world would be different. His concept of himself being what it is, everything in his world must be as it is. Thus it is abundantly clear that there is only one I am, and you are that I am. And while I am is infinite, you, by your concept of yourself, are displaying only a limited aspect of the infinite I am. Build thee more stately mansions, O my soul, as the swift seasons roll. Leave thy low-vaulted past. Let each new temple, nobler than the last, shut thee from heaven with a dome more vast, till thou at length art free, leaving thine outgrown shell by life's unresting sea. Chapter 2 Consciousness. It is only by a change of consciousness, by actually changing your concept of yourself, that you can quote unquote build more stately mansions. The manifestations of higher and higher concepts. It is of vital importance to understand clearly just what consciousness is. The reason lies in the fact that consciousness is the one and only reality. It is the first and only cause substance of the phenomena of life. Nothing has existence for man save through the consciousness he has of it. Therefore, it is to consciousness you must turn, for it is the only foundation on which the phenomena of life can be explained. If we accept the idea of a first cause, it would follow that the evolution of that cause could never result in anything foreign to itself. That is, if the first cause substance is light, all its evolutions, fruits, and manifestations would remain light. The first cause substance being consciousness, all its evolutions, fruits, and phenomena must remain consciousness. All that could be observed would be a higher or lower form or variation of the same thing. In other words, if your consciousness is the only reality, it must also be the only substance. Consequently, what appears to you as circumstances, conditions, and even material objects is really only the product of your own consciousness. Nature, then, as a thing or a complex of things external to your mind, must be rejected. You and your environment cannot be regarded as existing separately. You and your world are one. Therefore, you must turn from the objective appearance of things to the subjective center of things, your consciousness if you truly desire to know the cause of the phenomena of life and how to use this knowledge to realize your fondest dreams. In the midst of the apparent contradictions, antagonisms, and contrast of your life, there is only one principle at work, only your consciousness operating.
Difference does not consist in variety of substance, but in variety of arrangement of the same cause substance, your consciousness. The world moves with motiveless necessity. By this is meant that it has no motive of its own, but is under the necessity of manifesting your concept, the arrangement of your mind. And your mind is always arranged in the image of all you believe and consent to as true. The rich man, poor man, beggar man, or thief are not different minds, but different arrangements of the same mind in the same sense that a piece of steel, when magnetized, differs not in substance from its demagnetized state, but in the arrangement and order of its molecules. A single electron revolving in a specified orbit constitutes the unit of magnetism. When a piece of steel or anything else is demagnetized, the revolving electrons have not stopped. Therefore, the magnetism has not gone out of existence. There is only a rearrangement of the particles so that they produce no outside or perceptible effect. When particles are arranged at random, mixed up in all directions, the substance is said to be demagnetized. But when particles are marshaled in ranks so that a number of them face in one direction, the substance is a magnet. Magnetism is not generated, it is displayed. Health, wealth, beauty, and genius are not created. They are only manifested by the arrangement of your mind, that is, by your concept of yourself. And your concept of yourself is all that you accept and consent to as true. What you consent to can only be discovered by an uncritical observation of your reactions to life. Your reactions reveal where you live psychologically. Again, your reactions reveal where you live psychologically. And where you live psychologically determines how you live here in the outer visible world. The importance of this in your daily life should be immediately apparent. The basic nature of the primal cause is consciousness. Therefore, the ultimate substance of all things is consciousness. Chapter 3. Power of Assumption Man's chief delusion is his conviction that there are causes other than his own state of consciousness. All that befalls a man all that is done by him, all that comes from him, happens as a result of his state of consciousness. A man's consciousness is all that he thinks and desires and loves, and all that he believes is true and consents to. This is why a change of consciousness is necessary before you can change your outer world. Rain falls as a result of a change in the temperature in the higher regions of the atmosphere. So, in like manner, a change of circumstance happens as a result of a change in your state of consciousness. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind.
to be transformed, the whole basis of your thoughts must change. But your thoughts cannot change unless you have new ideas, for you think from your ideas. All transformation begins with an intense burning desire to be transformed. The first step in the renewing of the mind is desire. You must want to be different and intend to be before you can begin to change yourself. Then you must make your future dream a present fact. You do this by assuming the feeling of your wish fulfilled. By desiring to be other than what you are, you can create an ideal of the person you want to be and assume that you are already that person. If this assumption is persisted in until it becomes your dominant feeling, the attainment of your ideal is inevitable. The ideal you hope to achieve is always ready for an incarnation. But unless you yourself offer it human parentage, it is incapable of birth. Therefore, your attitude should be one in which having desired to express a higher state, you alone accept the task of incarnating this new and greater value of yourself. In giving birth to your ideal, you must bear in mind that the methods of mental and spiritual knowledge are entirely different. This is a point that is truly understood by probably not more than one person in a million. You know a thing mentally by looking at it from the outside, by comparing it with other things, by analyzing it and defining it, by thinking of it. Whereas you can know a thing spiritually only by becoming it, only by thinking from it. You must be the thing itself and not merely talk about or look at it. You must be like the moth in search of his idol, the flame. Who spurred with true desire, plunging at once into the sacred fire, folded his wings within till he became one color and one substance with the flame? He only knew the flame who in it burned, and only he could tell who ne'er to tell returned. Just as the moth in his desire to know the flame was willing to destroy himself, so must you, in becoming a new person, be willing to die to your present self. You must be conscious of being healthy if you are to know what health is. You must be conscious of being secure if you are to know what security is. Therefore, to incarnate a new and greater value of yourself, you must assume that you already are what you want to be and then live by faith in this assumption, which is not yet incarnate in the body of your life. In confidence that this new value or state of consciousness will become incarnated through your absolute fidelity to the assumption that you are that which you desire to be. This is what wholeness means, what integrity means. They mean submission of the whole self to the feeling of the wish fulfilled and certainty 
that the new state of consciousness is the renewing of mind which transforms. There is no order in nature corresponding to this willing submission of the self to the ideal beyond the self. Therefore, it is the height of folly to expect the incarnation of a new and greater concept of self to come about by natural evolutionary process. That which requires a state of consciousness to produce its effect obviously cannot be effected without such a state of consciousness and in your ability to assume the feeling of a greater life, to assume a new concept of yourself. You possess what the rest of nature does not possess, imagination, the instrument by which you create your world. Your imagination is the instrument, the means whereby your redemption from slavery, sickness, and poverty is effected. If you refuse to assume the responsibility of the incarnation of a new and higher concept of yourself, then you reject the means, the only means, whereby your redemption, that is, the attainment of your ideal, can be effected. Imagination is the only redemptive power in the universe. However, your nature is such that it is optional to you whether you remain in your present concept of yourself a hungry being longing for freedom, health, and security, or choose to become the instrument of your own redemption, imagining yourself as that which you want to be and thereby satisfying your hunger and redeeming yourself. Oh, be strong then and brave, pure, patient, and true. The work that is yours let no other hand do. For the strength for all need is faithfully given from the fountain within you, the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 4. Desire The changes which take place in your life as a result of your changed concept of yourself always appear to the unenlightened to be the result not of a change of your consciousness, but of chance outer cause, or coincidence. However, the only fate governing your life is the fate determined by your own concepts, your own assumptions. For an assumption, though false, if persisted in, will harden into fact. The ideal you seek and hope to attain will not manifest itself, will not be realized by you until you have imagined that you are already that ideal. There is no escape for you except by a radical psychological transformation of yourself, except by your assumption of the feeling of your wish fulfilled. Therefore, make results or accomplishments the crucial test of your ability to use your imagination. Everything depends on your attitude towards yourself. That which you will not affirm is true of yourself can never be realized by you. For that attitude alone is the necessary condition by which you realize your goal. All transformation is based upon suggestion, and this can work only where you lay yourself completely open to an influence. You must abandon yourself to your ideal as a woman abandons herself to love. 
for complete abandonment of self to it is the way to union with your ideal. You must assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled until your assumption has all the sensory vividness of reality. You must imagine that you are already experiencing what you desire. That is, you must assume the feeling of the fulfillment of your desire until you are possessed by it and this feeling crowds all other ideas out of your consciousness. The man who is not prepared for the conscious plunge into the assumption of the wish fulfilled in the faith that it is the only way to the realization of his dream is not yet ready to live consciously by the law of assumption, although there is no doubt that he does live by the law of assumption unconsciously. But for you, who accept this principle and are ready to live by consciously assuming that your wish is already fulfilled, the adventure of life begins. To reach a higher level of being, you must assume a higher level concept of yourself. To reach a higher level of being, you must assume a higher concept of yourself. If you will not imagine yourself as other than what you are, then you remain as you are. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. If you do not believe that you are he, the person you want to be, then you remain as you are. Through the faithful, systematic cultivation of the feeling of the wish fulfilled, desire becomes the promise of its own fulfillment. The assumption of the feeling of the wish fulfilled makes the future dream a present fact. Chapter 5 The Truth That Sets You Free The drama of life is a psychological one in which all the conditions, circumstances, and events of your life are brought to pass by your assumptions. Since your life is determined by your assumptions, you are forced to recognize the fact that you are either a slave to your assumptions or their master. To become the master of your assumptions is the key to undreamed of freedom and happiness. You can attain this mastery by deliberate conscious control of your imagination. You determine your assumptions in this way. Form a mental image, a picture of the state desired, of the person you want to be. Concentrate your attention upon the feeling that you are already that person. First, visualize the picture in your consciousness. Then feel yourself to be in that state as though it actually formed your surrounding world. By your imagination, that which was a mere mental image is changed into a seemingly solid reality. The great secret is a controlled imagination and a well-sustained attention firmly and repeatedly focused on the object to be accomplished. It cannot be emphasized too much that by creating an ideal within your mental sphere, by assuming that you are already that ideal, you identify yourself with it and thereby transform yourself into its image 
thinking from the ideal instead of thinking of the ideal. Every state is already there as quote-unquote mere possibilities as long as we think of them. But is overpoweringly real when we think from them. This was called by the ancient teachers subjection to the will of God or resting in the Lord. And the only true rest of resting in the Lord is that all who do rest are inevitably transformed into the image of that in which they rest, thinking from the wish fulfilled. You become according to your resigned will, and your resigned will is your concept of yourself and all that you consent to and accept as true. You, assuming the feeling of your wish fulfilled and continuing therein, take upon yourself the results of that state. Not assuming the feeling of your wish fulfilled, you are ever free of the results. When you understand the redemptive function of imagination, you hold in your hands the key to the solution of all your problems. Every phase of your life is made by the exercise of your imagination. Determined imagination alone is the means of your progress, of the fulfilling of your dreams. It is the beginning and end of all creating. The great secret is a controlled imagination and a well-sustained attention firmly and repeatedly focused on the feeling of the wish fulfilled until it fills the mind and crowds all other ideas out of consciousness. What greater gifts could be given you than to be told the truth that will set you free? The truth that sets you free is that you can experience in imagination what you desire to experience in reality. And by maintaining this experience in imagination, your desire will become an actuality. You are limited only by your uncontrolled imagination and lack of attention to the feeling of your wish fulfilled. When the imagination is not controlled and the attention not steadied on the feeling of the wish fulfilled, then no amount of prayer or piety or invocation will produce the desired effect. When you can call up at will whatsoever image you please, when the forms of your imagination are as vivid to you as the forms of nature, you are master of your fate. You must stop spending your thoughts, your time, and your money. Everything in life must be an investment. I'll read that again. You must stop spending your thoughts, your time, and your money. Everything in life must be an investment. Visions of beauty and splendor, forms of a long-lost race, sounds and faces and voices from the fourth dimension of space, and on through the universe boundless, our thoughts go lightning shod. Some call it imagination, and others call it God.
Chapter 6 Attention A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James 1, 8 Attention is forceful in proportion to the narrowness of its focus, that is, when it is obsessed with a single idea or sensation. It is steadied and powerfully focused only by such an adjustment of the mind as permits you to see one thing only. For you study the attention and increase its power by confining it. The desire which realizes itself is always a desire upon which attention is exclusively concentrated. For an idea is endowed with power only in proportion to the degree of attention fixed on it. Concentrated observation is the attentive attitude directed from some specific end. The attentive attitude involves selection, for when you pay attention, it signifies that you have decided to focus your attention on one object or state rather than on another. Therefore, when you know what you want, you must deliberately focus your attention on the feeling of your wish fulfilled until that feeling fills the mind and crowds all other ideas out of consciousness. The power of attention is the measure of your inner force. Concentrated observation of one thing shuts out other things and causes them to disappear. The great secret of success is to focus the attention on the feeling of the wish fulfilled without permitting any distraction. All progress depends upon an increase of attention. The ideas which impel you to action are those which dominate the consciousness, those which possess the attention. The idea which excludes all others from the field of attention discharges an action. This one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I press toward the mark. This means you, this one thing you can do, forgetting those things that are behind. You can press toward the mark of filling your mind with the feeling of the wish fulfilled. To the unenlightened man, this will seem to be all fantasy. Yet all progress comes from those who do not take the accepted view, nor accept the world as it is. As was stated heretofore, if you can imagine what you please, and if the forms of your thought are as vivid as the forms of nature, you are, by virtue of the power of your imagination, master of your fate. Your imagination is you yourself, and the world, as your imagination sees it, is the real world. When you set out to master the movements of attention, which must be done if you would successfully alter the course of observed events, it is then you realize how little control you exercise over your imagination, and how much it is dominated by sensory impressions and by a drifting on the tides of idle moods. To aid in mastering the control of your attention, practice this exercise. Night after night, 
just before you drift off to sleep. Strive to hold your attention on the activities of the day in reverse order. Focus your attention on the last thing you did, that is, getting into bed, and then move it backward in time over the events until you reach the first event of the day, getting out of bed. This is no easy exercise, but just as specific exercises greatly help in developing specific muscles, this will greatly help in developing the muscle of your attention. Your attention must be developed, controlled, and concentrated in order to change your concept of yourself successfully and thereby change your future. Imagination is able to do anything but only according to the internal direction of your attention. If you persist night after night, sooner or later you will awaken in yourself a center of power and become conscious of your greater self, the real you. Attention is developed by repeated exercise or habit. Through habit, an action becomes easier. And so, in course of time, gives rise to a facility or faculty, which can then be put to higher uses. When you attain control of the internal direction of your attention, you will no longer stand in shallow water, but will launch out into the deep of life. You will walk in the assumption of the wish fulfilled as on a foundation more solid even than earth. Chapter 7. Attitude. Experiments recently conducted by Merle Lawrence, Princeton, and Adelbert Ames, Dartmouth, in the latter's psychology laboratory at Hanover, New Hampshire, prove that what you see when you look at something depends not so much on what is there as on the assumption you make when you look. Since what we believe to be the real physical world is actually only an assumptive world, it is not surprising that these experiments prove that what appears to be solid reality is actually the result of expectations or assumptions. Your assumptions determine not only what you see, but also what you do, for they govern all your conscious and subconscious movements toward the fulfillment of themselves. Over a century ago, this truth was stated by Emerson as follows. As the world was plastic and fluid in the hands of God, so it is ever to so much of his attributes as we bring to it. To ignorance and sin, it is flint. They adapt themselves to it as they may, but in proportion as a man has anything in him divine, the firmament flows before him and takes his signet and form. Your assumption is the hand of God molding the firmament into the image of that which you assume. The assumption of the wish fulfilled is the high tide which lifts you easily off the bar of the senses where you have so long lain stranded. It lifts the mind into prophecy in the full right sense of the word. And if you have that controlled imagination and absorbed attention which it is possible to attain, you may be sure that all your assumption implies will come to pass. When William Blake wrote, 
what seems to be is to those whom it seems to be. He was only repeating the eternal truth. There is nothing unclean of itself, but to him esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Romans fourteen fourteen. Because there is nothing unclean of itself, or clean of itself, you should assume the best and think only of that which is lovely and of good report. It is not superior insight, but ignorance of this law of assumption, if you read into the greatness of men some littleness with which you may be familiar, or into some situation or circumstance an unfavorable conviction. Your particular relationship to another influences your assumption with respect to that other and makes you see in him that which you do see. If you can change your opinion of another, then what you now believe of him cannot be absolutely true, but is only relatively true. The following is an actual case history illustrating how the law of assumption works. One day, a costume designer described to me her difficulties in working with a prominent theatrical producer. She was convinced that he unjustly criticized and rejected her best work and that often he was deliberately rude and unfair to her. Upon hearing her story, I explained that if she found the other rude and unfair, it was a sure sign that she herself was wanting and that it was not the producer, but herself, that was in need of a new attitude. I told her that the power of this law of assumption and its practical application could be discovered only through experience, and that only by assuming that the situation was already what she wanted it to be could she prove that she could bring about the change desired. Her employer was merely bearing witness, telling her by his behavior what her concept of him was. I suggested that it was quite probable that she was carrying on conversations with him in her mind which were filled with criticism and recriminations. There was no doubt but that she was mentally arguing with the producer, for others only echo that which we whisper to them in secret. I'll read that again. For others only echo that which we whisper to them in secret. I asked her if it was not true that she talked to him mentally, and if so, what those conversations were like. She confessed that every morning on her way to the theater, she told him just what she thought of him in a way she never would have dared address him in person. The intensity and force of her mental arguments with him automatically establish his behavior towards her. She began to realize that all of us carry on mental conversations, but unfortunately, on most occasions, these conversations are argumentative. Though we have only to observe the passerby on the street to prove this assertion, that so many people are mentally engrossed in conversation and few appear to be happy about it, but the very intensity of their feeling must lead them quickly to the unpleasant incident they themselves have mentally created and therefore must now encounter. When she realized what she had been doing, she agreed to change her attitude 
and to live this law faithfully by assuming that her job was highly satisfactory and her relationship with the producer was a very happy one. To do this, she agreed that before going to sleep at night, on her way to work, and at other intervals during the day, she would imagine that he had congratulated her on her fine designs, and that she in turn had thanked him for his praise and kindness. To her great delight, she, she soon discovered for herself that her own attitude was the cause of all that befell her. The behavior of her employer miraculously reversed itself. His attitude, echoing as it had always done, that which she had assumed, now reflected her changed concept of him. What she did was by the power of her imagination. Her persistent assumption influenced his behavior and determined his attitude toward her. With the passport of desire on the wings of a controlled imagination, she traveled into the future of her own predetermined experience. Thus, we see it is not facts, but that which we create in our imagination, which shapes our lives. For most of the conflicts of the day are due to the want of a little imagination to cast the beam out on our own eye. It is the exact and literal-minded who live in a fictitious world. As this designer, by her controlled imagination, started the subtle change in her employer's mind, so can we, by the control of our own imagination and wisely directed feeling, solve our problems. By the intensity of her imagination and feeling, the designer cast a kind of enchantment on her producer's mind and caused him to think that his generous praise originated with him. Often our most elaborate and original thoughts are determined by another. We should never be certain that it was not some woman treading in the wine press who began that subtle change in men's mind, or that the passion did not begin in the mind of some shepherd boy lighting up his eyes for a moment before it ran upon its way. William Butler Yeats. Chapter 8 Renunciation. There is no coal of character so dead that it will not glow and flame if but slightly turned. Resist not evil. Whosoever shall smite on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. There is a great difference between resisting evil and renouncing it. When you resist evil, you give it your attention. You continue to make it real. When you renounce evil, you take your attention from it and give your attention to what you want. Now is the time to control your imagination and give beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. You give beauty for ashes when you concentrate your attention on things as you would like them to be rather than on things as they are. You give joy for mourning 
when you maintain a joyous attitude, regardless of unfavorable circumstances. You give praise for the spirit of heaviness when you maintain a confident attitude instead of succumbing to despondency. In this quotation, the Bible uses the word tree as a synonym for man. You become a tree of righteousness when the above mental states are a permanent part of your consciousness. You are a planting of the Lord when all your thoughts are true thoughts. He is I am as described in chapter 1. I am is glorified when your highest concept of yourself is manifested. When you have discovered your own controlled imagination to be your savior, your attitude will be completely altered without any diminution of religious feeling. And you will say of your controlled imagination, Behold this vine. I found it a wild tree whose wanton strength had swollen into irregular twigs. But I pruned the plant and it grew temperate in its vain expense of useless leaves and nodded, as you see, into these clean, full clusters to repay the hand that wisely wounded it. By vine is meant your imagination, which, in its uncontrolled state, expends its energy in useless or destructive thoughts and feelings. But you, just as the vine is pruned by cutting away its useless branches and roots, prune your imagination by withdrawing your attention from all unlovely and destructive ideas and concentrating on the ideal you wish to attain. The happier, more noble life you will experience will be the result of wisely pruning your own imagination. Yes, be pruned of all unlovely thoughts and feelings that you may... Think truly, and thy thoughts shall the world's famine feed. Speak truly, and each word of thine shall be a fruitful seed. Live truly, and thy life shall be a great and noble creed. Chapter 9 Preparing Your Place And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. John 17.10 Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Revelations 14.15 All is yours. Do not go seeking for that which you are, Appropriate it, claim it, assume it. Again, all is yours. Do not go seeking for that which you are. Appropriate it, claim it, assume it. Everything depends upon your concept of yourself. That which you do not claim is true of yourself cannot be realized by you. The promise is, whosoever hath, To him it shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that which he seemeth to have. 
Hold fast in your imagination to all that is lovely and of good report. For the lovely and the good are essential in your life if it is to be worthwhile. Assume it. You do this by imagining that you already are what you want to be and already have what you want to have. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Be still and know that you are that which you desire to be and you will never have to search for it. In spite of your appearance of freedom of action, you obey as everything else does, the law of assumption. Whatever you may think of the question of free will, the truth is your experiences throughout your life are determined by your assumptions, whether conscious or unconscious. An assumption builds a bridge of incidents that lead inevitably to the fulfillment of itself. Man believes the future to be the natural development of the past. But the law of assumption clearly shows that this is not the case. Your assumption places you psychologically where you are not physically. Then your senses pull you back from where you were psychologically to where you are physically. It is these psychological forward motions that produce your physical forward motions in time. Precognition permeates all the scriptures of the world. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And now I have told you before it came to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. John 14, 2, 3, 29. The I in this quotation is your imagination, which goes into the future, into one of the many mansions. Mansion is the state desired. Telling of an event before it occurs physically is simply feeling yourself into the state desired until it has the tone of reality. You go and prepare a place for yourself by imagining yourself into the feeling of your wish fulfilled. Then you speed from the state of this wish fulfilled, where you have not been physically, back to where you were physically a moment ago. Then, with irresistible forward movement, you move forward across a series of events to the physical realization of your wish. That where you have been in imagination, there you will be in flesh also. Chapter 10, Creation. I am God, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Isaiah 46, 9, 10. Creation is finished. Creativeness is only a deeper receptiveness for the entire contents of all time and all space, while experienced in a time sequence, 
actually coexist in an infinite and eternal now. In other words, all that you have been or will ever be, in fact, all that mankind ever was or ever will be, exists now. This is what is meant by creation. And the statement that creation is finished means nothing is ever to be created. It is only to be manifested. What is called creativeness is only becoming aware of what already is. You simply become aware of increasing portions of that which already exists. The fact that you can never be anything that you are not already or experience anything not already existing explains the experience of having an acute feeling of having heard before what is being said or having met before the person being met for the first time or having seen before a place or thing being seen for the first time. The whole of creation exists in you and it is your destiny to become increasingly aware of its infinite wonders and to experience ever greater and grander portions of it. If creation is finished and all events are taking place now, the question that springs naturally to the mind is, what determines your time track? That is, what determines the events which you encounter? And the answer is your concept of self. Concepts determine the route that attention follows. Here is a good test to prove this fact. Assume the feeling of your wish fulfilled and observe the route that your attention follows. You will observe that as long as you remain faithful to your assumption, so long will your attention be confronted with images clearly related to that assumption. For example, if you assume that you have a wonderful business, you will notice how in your imagination your attention is focused on incident after incident relating to that assumption. Friends congratulate you, tell you how lucky you are. Others are envious and critical. From there, your attention goes to larger offices, bigger bank balances, and many other similarly related events. Persistence in this assumption will result in actually experiencing, in fact, that which you assume. The same is true regarding any concept. If your concept of yourself is that you are a failure, you would encounter in your imagination a whole series of incidents in conformance to that concept. Thus, it is clearly seen how you, by your concept of yourself, determine your present, that is, the particular portion of creation which you now experience, and your future, that is, the particular portion of creation which you will experience. Chapter 11, Interference. You are free to choose the concept you will accept of yourself. Therefore, you possess the power of intervention, the power which enables you to alter the course of your future. The process of rising from your present concept to a higher concept of yourself is the means of all true progress. The higher concept is waiting for you to incarnate it in the world of experience. 
Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory. Ephesians 3.20 Him that is able to do more than you can ask or think is your imagination, and the power that worketh in us is your attention. Understanding imagination to be him that is able to do all that you ask, and attention to be the power by which you create your world, you can now build your ideal world. Imagine yourself to be the ideal you dream of and desire. Remain attentive to this imagined state, and as fast as you completely feel that you are already this ideal, it will manifest itself as reality in your world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. The mystery hid from the ages, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The he in the first of these quotations is your imagination. As previously explained, there is only one substance. This substance is consciousness. It is your imagination which forms this substance into concepts, which concepts are then manifested as conditions, circumstances, and physical objects. Thus, imagination made your world. This supreme truth, with but few exceptions, man is not conscious of. The mystery, Christ in you, referred to in the second quotation, is your imagination, by which your world is molded. The hope of glory is your awareness of the ability to rise perpetually to higher levels. Christ is not to be found in history, nor in external forms. You find Christ only when you become aware of the fact that your imagination is the only redemptive power. When this is discovered, the towers of dogma will have heard the trumpets of truth and like the walls of Jericho, crumble to dust. Chapter 12. Subjective Control Your imagination is able to do all that you ask in proportion to the degree of your attention. All progress, all fulfillment of desire, depend upon the control and concentration of your attention. Attention may be either attracted from without or directed from within. Attention is attracted from without when you are consciously occupied with the external impressions of the immediate present. The very lines of this page are attracting your attention from without. Your attention is directed from within when you deliberately choose what you will be preoccupied with mentally. It is obvious that, in the objective world, your attention is not only attracted by, but is constantly directed to, external impressions. But your control in the subjective state is almost non-existent. For in this state, attention is usually the servant and not the master, the passenger and not the navigator of your world. There is an enormous difference between attention directed objectively and attention directed subjectively, and the capacity to change your future 
depends on the latter. When you are able to control the movements of your attention in the subjective world, you can modify or alter your life as you please. But this control cannot be achieved if you allow your attention to be attracted constantly from without. Each day, set yourself the task of deliberately withdrawing your attention from the objective world and of focusing it subjectively. In other words, concentrate on those thoughts or moods which you deliberately determine. Then those things that now restrict you will fade and drop away. The day you achieve control of the movements of your attention in the subjective world, you are master of your fate. You will no longer accept the dominance of outside conditions or circumstances. You will not accept life on the basis of the world without. Having achieved control of the movements of your attention and having discovered the mystery hid from the ages, that Christ in you is your imagination, you will assert the supremacy of imagination and put all things in subjection to it. Chapter 13. Acceptance. Man's perceptions are not bounded by organs of perception. He perceives more than sense, though ever so acute can discover. However much you seem to be living in a material world, you are actually living in a world of imagination. The outer physical events of life are the fruit of forgotten blossom times, results of previous and usually forgotten states of consciousness. They are the ends running true to oft times forgotten imaginative origins. Whenever you become completely absorbed in an emotional state, you are at that moment assuming the feeling of the state fulfilled. If persisted in, whatsoever you are intensely emotional about, you will experience in your world. These periods of absorption, of concentrated attention, are the beginnings of the things you harvest. It is in such moments that you are exercising your creative power, the only creative power there is. At the end of these periods, or moments of absorption, you speed from these imaginative states, where you have not been physically, to where you were physically an instant ago. In these periods, the imagined state is so real that when you return to the objective world and find that it is not the same as the imagined state, it is an actual shock. You have seen something in imagination with such vividness that you now wonder whether the evidence of your senses can now be believed. And like Keats, you ask, was it a vision or a waking dream? Fled is that music. Do I wake or sleep? This shock reverses your time sense. By this is meant that instead of your experience resulting from your past, it now becomes the result of being in imagination where you have not yet been physically. In effect, this moves you across a bridge of incidents to the physical realization of your imagined state. 
the man who at will can assume whatever state he pleases has found the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The keys are desire, imagination, and a steadily focused attention on the feeling of the wish fulfilled. To such a man, any undesirable objective fact is no longer a reality, and the ardent wish no longer a dream. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Malachi 3.10 The windows of heaven may not be opened and the treasures seized by a strong will, but they open of themselves and present their treasures as a free gift, a gift that comes when absorption reaches such a degree that it results in a feeling of complete acceptance. The passage from your present state to the feeling of your wish fulfilled is not across a gap. There is continuity between the so-called real and unreal. To cross from one state to the other, you simply extend your feelers, trust your touch, and enter fully into the spirit of what you are doing. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Assume the spirit, the feeling of the wish fulfilled, and you will have opened the windows to receive the blessing. To assume a state is to get into the spirit of it. Your triumphs will be a surprise only to those who did not know your hidden passage from the state of longing to the assumption of the wish fulfilled. The Lord of hosts will not respond to your wish until you have assumed the feeling of already being what you want to be. For acceptance is the channel of his action. Acceptance is the Lord of hosts in action. Chapter 14 The Effortless Way The principle of least action governs everything in physics from the path of a planet to the path of a pulse of light. Least action is the minimum of energy multiplied by the minimum of time. Therefore, in moving from your present state to the state desired, you must use the minimum of energy and take the shortest possible time. Your journey from one state of consciousness to another is a psychological one. So to make the journey, you must employ the psychological equivalent of least action. And the psychological equivalent is mere assumption. The day you fully realize the power of assumption, you discover that it works in complete conformity with this principle. It works by means of attention, minus effort. Thus, with least action, through an assumption, you hurry without haste and reach your goal without effort. Because creation is finished, what you desire already exists. It is excluded from view because you can see only the contents of your own consciousness. 
it is the function of an assumption to call back the excluded view and restore full vision. It is not the world, but your assumptions that change. An assumption brings the invisible into sight. It is nothing more nor less than seeing with the eye of God, i.e. imagination. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. The heart is the primary organ of sense, hence the first cause of experience. When you look, quote-unquote, on the heart, you're looking at your assumptions. Assumptions determine your experience. Watch your assumption with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Assumptions have the power of objective realization. Every event in the visible world is the result of an assumption or idea in the unseen world. The present moment is all important, for it is only in the present moment that our assumptions can be controlled. The future must become the present in your mind if you would wisely operate the law of assumption. The future becomes the present when you imagine that you are already what you will be when your assumption is fulfilled. Be still, least action, and know that you are that which you desire to be. The end of longing should be being. Translate your dream into being. Perpetual construction of future states without the consciousness of already being them, that is, picturing your desire without actually assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled, is the fallacy and mirage of mankind. It is simply futile daydreaming. Chapter 15. The Crown of the Mysteries. The assumption of the wish fulfilled is the ship that carries you over the unknown seas to the fulfillment of your dream. The assumption is everything. Realization is subconscious and effortless. Assume a virtue if you have it not. Act on the assumption that you already possess that which you sought. Blessed is she that believed For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. As the Immaculate Conception is the foundation of the Christian mysteries, so the Assumption is their crown. Psychologically, the Immaculate Conception means the birth of an idea in your own consciousness, unaided by another. For instance, when you have a specific wish or hunger, or longing. It is an immaculate conception in the sense that no physical person or thing plants it in your mind. It is self-conceived. Every man is the Mary of the immaculate conception, and birth to his idea must give. The assumption is the crown of the mysteries because it is the highest use of consciousness. When in imagination you assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled, 
you are mentally lifted up to a higher level. When through your persistence, this assumption becomes actual fact, you automatically find yourself on a higher level. That is, you have achieved your desire in your objective world. Your assumption guides all your conscious and subconscious movements towards its suggested end, so inevitably that it actually dictates the events. I'll read that again. Your assumption guides all your conscious and subconscious movements towards its suggested end so inevitably that it actually dictates the events. The drama of life is a psychological one, and the whole of it is written and produced by your assumptions. Learn the art of assumption, for only in this way can you create your own happiness. Chapter 16 Personal Impotence Self-surrender is essential, and by that is meant the confession of personal impotence. I can of my own self do nothing. Since creation is finished, it is impossible to force anything into being. The example of magnetism previously given is a good illustration. You cannot make magnetism. It can only be displayed. You cannot make the law of magnetism. If you want to build a magnet, you can do so only by conforming to the law of magnetism. In other words, you surrender yourself or yield to the law. In like manner, when you use the faculty of assumption, you are conforming to a law just as real as the law governing magnetism. You can neither create nor change the law of assumption. It is in this respect that you are impotent. You can only yield or conform, and since all of your experiences are the result of your assumptions, consciously or unconsciously, the value of consciously using the power of assumption surely must be obvious. Willingly identify yourself with that which you most desire, knowing that it will find expression through you. Yield to the feeling of the wish fulfilled and be consumed as its victim. Then rise as the prophet of the law of assumption. Chapter 17 All Things Are Possible It is of great significance that the truth of the principles outlined in this book have been proven time and again by the personal experiences of the author. Throughout the past 25 years, he has applied these principles and proved them successful in innumerable instances. He attributes to an unwavering assumption of his wish already being fulfilled every success that he has achieved. He was confident that by these fixed assumptions, his desires were predestined to be fulfilled. Time and again, he assumed the feeling of his wish fulfilled and continued in his assumption until that which he desired was completely realized. Live your life in a sublime spirit of confidence and determination. 
disregard appearances, conditions, in fact, all evidence of your senses that deny the fulfillment of your desire. Rest in the assumption that you are already what you want to be. For in that determined assumption, you and your infinite being are merged in creative unity. And with your infinite being, God, all things are possible. God never fails. For who can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Through the mastery of your assumptions, you are in very truth enabled to master life. It is thus that the ladder of life is ascended. Thus the ideal is realized. The clue to the real purpose of life is to surrender yourself to your ideal with such awareness of its reality that you begin to live the life of the ideal and no longer your own life as it was prior to the surrender. He calleth things that are not seen as though they were, and the unseen becomes seen. Each assumption has its corresponding world. If you are truly observant, you will notice the power of your assumptions to change circumstances which appear wholly immutable. You, by your conscious assumptions, determine the nature of the world in which you live. Ignore the present state and assume the wish fulfilled. Claim it. It will respond. The law of assumption is the means by which the fulfillment of your desires may be realized. Every moment of your life, consciously or unconsciously, you are assuming a feeling. You can no more avoid assuming a feeling then you can avoid eating and drinking. All you can do is control the nature of your assumptions. Thus it is clearly seen that the control of your assumption is the key you now hold to an ever-expanding, happier, and more noble life. This completes part one of The Power of Awareness by Neville Goddard. Be sure and find the next episode, part two, which completes the book. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. To inquire about guided revision sessions, please email me at bridget at thetruthaboutliving.com. That's Bridget spelled B-R-I-D-G-E-T-T at thetruthaboutliving.com and I will lovingly and expertly guide you through your own revision process. Talk soon.